You know, this time of year, we're basically asked to believe a lot of things that are supernatural. Uh, that a, a guy in a red suit can cover the whole world with presents, uh, all the way to many other things. But especially here in our Christmas story, there's so many things that are out of the ordinary. There's so many things that are very supernatural. And sometimes when we look at the characters in the Christmas story and we look at those who got involved in the story and the whole narrative, it's really amazing that we kind of put these guys on a pedestal. We say, well, these are special people that God handpicked, and they had supernatural faith, and it was just remarkable who he chose. Well, these were ordinary people. They're not unlike many of us. And what really is amazing when you begin to look at the story of Christmas is you find that there are times in which there are doubts associated with all the extraordinary events. The supernatural has definitely come into the world when you study the story of Christmas. So this morning, what I want to do is talk about the doubt that stole Christmas. Look at the introduction on your outline. The Christmas narrative is full of stories of doubt. And for good reason, because it is filled with one miracle after another. Think about it. Angels appearing, a virgin conceiving, a special star guiding uh, wise men from the east, and of course, God's coming to earth in the form of a small child or a baby. And it's really amazing to, when you think about that, because most of us have grown up with this story. We, we can't remember our lives without knowing about this story. And so many times we overlook and possibly not even see the obvious sitting there that can teach us so much. So look on your outline. The, yet the true miracles were those in which doubt became belief. So many times we say, no, the miracle was the angels and the course of angels appearing to the shepherds and the star and all that. That's all great. That's all grand and everything. But really the true miracles were those in which God brought into the story and where their doubt became belief. And you say, well, what's so special about that? Because that's where all the miracles come in when you, be, when you really break it down. That's where our salvation comes from, when doubt becomes belief. That, that's where we understand God more thoroughly when doubt becomes belief. That, that's when we become people that God can use when our doubt becomes belief. And we find it right here in this story. Let me give you a definition of doubt. If you don't know, this is one definition of doubt. To call into question something that is true. And I guarantee you, every one of us sitting in this room has read God's word, and, and, and there was doubt when we looked at it at first. Now, some of you may not want to admit it, but there's probably doubt when you see it, especially when God shows you in the word something you need to know. But the miracle is when you embrace it as truth, as truth. So this morning, what I want to do is look at the characters of doubt found right here in the Christmas story. I need you to turn to two places. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. Matthew and Luke are really what you see as the given stories of Christmas. That's where we find uh, almost everything that we know about the shepherds, the wise men, Herod, all the different stories come from those two gospels. Because John talks about Jesus who came to earth. He talks about him before Bethlehem. Mark really doesn't say a whole lot, but Matthew and Luke gives us the actual narrative of Christmas. So, 
We find out all through the Bible. Adam and Eve doubted, Noah doubted, Abraham and Sarah doubted, Isaac, Jacob, King David doubted, and we see it all through the Psalms. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, doubted. There's stories of doubt all through the Old Testament. And then when you come through it, you see how the doubt was turned to belief, and then we see how God began to use it. Now, there's also doubt, as I've already said, in the Christmas story. And the first one that we find that doubts is the priest, Zacharias. Zacharias is there in Luke chapter 1. He's the wife of Elizabeth. Many of you know her as Mary's cousin. He's also the father of John the Baptist. Let me just say this about him. He is one who is a priest. He, he would be one of the orders of priests. And, and what's amazing is there's an, estimate, estimate, uh, there's an estimate of 800 priests who served at this time. Now, what they would do is they would take turns serving in the temple. Normally, it would be a two-week period. And so, it was time for Zacharias to serve. Now, what's amazing about this is you can only serve in this capacity probably once in a lifetime. But what's even more amazing is the fact that some never even got the opportunity. But here's Zacharias, and he's able to go into the temple. Okay, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So he is in what you would call the holy place, not the holy of holies, but his priest, uh, the, the rank of his priesthood would be that he could go into the holy place. That's as high as he could go. That's the best he could get. That's the closest he could get to God is right there. Okay, and so he's there, and when Zacharias saw him, the angel, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you are amazed at how people seem to be terrified of angelic hosts? How many of you notice that all through the Bible? And it says, and they were feared, and they were troubled, and all this. I mean, again, what do you have? You've got the supernatural coming to a natural world. You've got something pretty amazing going on. And he had the same reaction that we find many who had that same reaction in the Old Testament. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What was the prayer? Well, we find out about that a little later. They prayed that they could have children. Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed for years that they could have children. And all of a sudden, the angel shows up and he says, your prayer is is about to be answered. And then he says, and your wife Elizabeth will bear your, you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Can you imagine? I mean, everybody, I mean, he's sitting there and he's listening to this news. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall neither drink wine nor strong drink as associated with the Nazarite vow. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. We don't read that every day about someone. And right here we see this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of a, uh, and power of Elijah. It means he'll be as great as Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for the Messiah. <laughs> now you would sit there, how many of you would sit there and think, wow, this is amazing. This is great. 
And again, what was Zacharias and, and Elizabeth been praying for? They just wanted a, a child, an ordinary child. And this angel says, no, no, no. You're going to get much more than just a child. And let, notice his reaction. Verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? You can, let me tell you what some of your translations say. How is this even possible? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I'm married to an old woman. I'm an old man. Where in the, how's this even going to be possible? Now, understand what the angel was saying. God's getting ready to answer, answer this prayer you've been praying for a long time. It's something he's been asking for. And God's about to come through. Not only that, this won't be an ordinary child. Next, the doubts didn't stop there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel uh, was, was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So she's been betrothed. She's been set apart for Joseph to be taken in marriage. That's what betrothed means. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, here it is, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, now, what you see here in verse 29, basically her reaction was she was troubled like Zacharias, the, the greeting that was, it was coming from an angel, but she was also perplexed. This has the idea of being perplexed. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, what's interesting about this, again, these are ordinary people. We're told this all through scripture. So it wasn't that Mary was this, uh, this saint and she was just this person that God saw. He couldn't help but make her the mother of his child. No, that's not it. It wasn't her merit, just like it never is with us. It was God's sovereignty in this case. And what's interesting is when Mary says this, don't be afraid for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. All that was prophesied in the Old Testament. She would have known if she knew anything about the Old Testament that the, the child she would be carrying is the Messiah. The Messiah. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no, no end. Now, again, you would think someone would sit there and say, wow, this is amazing. But what followed this great word? Doubt. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's basically saying, how can this be? I've not been intimate with a man. How can this even happen? Again, we see another picture of doubt. So, Zacharias said to the angel, how's this possible? Mary comes along and says, how can this be? And then we come to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, before they became intimate, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, how often is that said in Scripture? It's the only place you'll find it. <laughs> then Joseph, her husband, 
Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. What does verse 19 tell us? He doubted the story. He didn't believe the story. He, 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 didn't, he didn't have this, this knowledge to help him understand fully what was going on. But the biggest thing we see here is he doubted. He doubted. Can you imagine the conversation Mary must have had with Joseph before the angel showed up? Joseph, just want you to know that I'm going to have a baby. I've never been with a man. I, nothing, anything like that has even come close to happening, you know. And, 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 and an angel told me it was God's baby. What's Joseph probably thinking? Okay, all right. What did I get myself into here, you know? So what was his immediate reaction? Verse 19 tells us he was a respectable man wanting to do the right thing to protect Mary, but he didn't believe the story. Something was amiss. Doubt, if you really think about it, seems to be a part of the human experience. Wouldn't you say that? Especially, especially, how, how could they doubt when an angel from God told them? I mean, if an angel showed up to you and told you something, would you believe that immediately? No question. I mean, yeah, okay, well, here we go. Many of us probably wouldn't know how we would react. But let me tell you something even greater than the angel showing up. You look at Jesus showing up, you get your Gospels. You look at the men that he invested in, those 12 apostles, and all of a sudden they bring the stories of God alive in the book that we call the Bible, that we know as God's Word. Why is it that, that uh, you look in the story and you see the angels showing up, and we can understand there's a little mysticism, uh, not in that sense, but there's something there that they're having to put together that's supernatural. But think about it. God's Word is supernatural. We doubt His Word. They doubted an angel. But we doubt His Word. We find ourselves in the same predicament many times. We doubt His Word. So let's look at this. The causes of doubt. Number one, the absence of faith. Now let me help you understand something. I believe God loves an honest seeker. I, I believe he loves that. I, I look at my own life and the times that I question God. Let me just throw it out there. How many of you have questioned God at some point in your life? Yeah, we, we have, haven't we? God, where are you when we hurt? God, did you, did you miss this detail in my life? I mean, this is something I've been praying for for a long time. God, where? I mean, we all go there sometimes, but God loves honest seekers. And, and by the way, there's a difference between can't believe and won't believe. A big difference. Someone has said that if you've never had a question about your faith, then you probably don't have much faith. I, I tend to believe with that, especially in my own experience. And then one day, and many of us could probably identify with something like this. One day, a man with a demon-possessed son came to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus asked him, he said, basically, do you believe I can heal your son? Do you remember the response? Yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. He was honest. He was open. He, he knew that he was capable of doing what he could do, but, but he still needed to see it with his own eyes. It was still something so foreign to him. Some of us may be in that place today. 
We know God's called us to something. We know there's something in our life that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's the hurt that we talked about two weeks ago. Maybe it's the insecurity that Jonathan talked about last week. But we know there's something in our life that God wants to do in and through our predicament, in and through our situation. And sometimes, because those things are so buried in us, we don't think he's capable of helping us deal with the hurt or the insecurity in our life. And we continue to live in it because we doubt because we doubt, and we doubt his word. Next, another cause of doubt, lack of information. Doubt can sometimes serve a revealing purpose. Sometimes our doubt will cause us to dig deeper. How many of you have dug deeper in your doubt before? And you, you know God has said something, and you know something's real, and it appears to be right there, but all of a sudden it leads you to greater exposure into his word, and you get in there, and you begin to, to work with, in his word to see what God is up to. You see, that's good discipleship when you think about it. Matter of fact, when we go to God's word, I think many times our questions and doubts have the potential to lead us to the discovery of, of more fully of who I am, and who I can understand God to be. And I'll be honest with you, I think that's a lot of people who say they're followers of Jesus and they don't feel like their life is going anywhere. It's because they don't dig. They don't look into his word. They don't put themselves into a, a, a position of being discipled, of learning what God's word has to truly say. Another cause of doubt is difficult circumstances. I think so many of us can identify with this one. And this is basically where we say, God, where are you? You ever been there before? It causes doubt, doesn't it? God, if you're all knowing, God, if you're all powerful, God, if you're all these things, why do you allow these things in my life? What's going on? Do you really care? How about this one? Another cause of doubt, lack of experience. I remember years ago, there was a course, and, and, and I've heard many people recently refer to this. It's amazing how long ago we, it was around. There was a, a course called Experiencing God. And, and at the time, uh, back when it first came out, we had over 100 people. And I don't think we had more than a couple hundred people coming on Sundays. And, and we had about half of our congregation who literally had gone through that course. And many people said that was something that led them into an area in which they began to look at how they experienced God kind of the title, right? And, and it really helped them. And, and what they found, I think what we find in that study that is just so true is that true faith brings about transformation. But that can't happen unless we're experiencing him and knowing him and understanding more fully who we are. So, so where are you in this process? When it comes to your lack of experience with God in your faith, are you constantly doubting, almost skeptical, of what Jesus says he can do? Are you questioning, which is a whole idea of honestly searching? Are you believing? That means honestly trusting. Is your, is your doubt leading you somewhere? Are you stuck back in the doubt and the skepticism? Listen, there's been so many times in my life, and many of you can relate to this. There's been so many times in my life where I wondered if God was going to come through. I've been praying about this. This is something that was always there. And, and, and then all of a sudden, God did come through. Sometimes, listen, not in ways I expected. Sometimes I was thankful he didn't answer my prayer exactly the way I stated it. How many of you have been there before? 
And then there were those times where I couldn't understand, but it was years later before he answered it. And then I, I came to that awareness as to why God prolonged my wait. Because once I got there, I realized I wasn't ready over here. So therefore, because I have an experiences like that, sometimes when I pray, I think I'm more mature in my prayer life because now I know sometimes God will delay and sometimes God will change it up. And it seems like it's always been for my best, for what he would describe as his best for me. And some, some of you are sitting here, and the reason you're, you have all these doubts and your faith has not grown is, is because you don't experience it. You don't, and for many of you, just don't take the steps toward what he desires you to do. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Another cause of doubt, and we talked about this one, skepticism. Skepticism. It's where we hear things or told things that never come about. And we're told these things over and over again. And all of a sudden, as we get older, how many of you, and I've talked about this with you before, how many of you have noticed as we get older, we become more skeptical? Some of you would say, well, I'm just less naive. <laughs> no, we become skeptical because we've been let down here, we've been let down here, we've been let down here, and we're not going to let that happen again, are we? It's like when your husband says, the game will be off in 10 minutes. Why can't he just say it'll probably be another 45 minutes because there's going to be three more TV timeouts, six more coaches timeouts, and the game will probably go into overtime. Why can't he just be honest? When you drop your wife off at the door at the mall, I'll be just a minute. Why can't you just say, I'm really going in there for a while, and I'll pick through a bunch of stuff, and there's going to be a clearance rack in which I will need to touch everything on that clearance rack. <laughs> what happens? We learn each other pretty well, don't we? Some of us with knowledge, some of us with experience, but the fact is, we can read it for what it is. And sometimes our skepticism, listen, let me just say this, don't hold that with God. We may let each other down. God won't let us down. Know that your doubt can become belief, and when you see the belief, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes he's asking you to walk through some very dark times. Sometimes it's just a very difficult thing that we live in in the human condition in a fallen world. But he'll see us through. Next, discouragement. That goes back to what I said earlier. God, do you really care? You know what's really amazing about one of these stories of doubt? Zacharias is going to become the father of John the Baptist. And the Bible says that he will come in the power and the strength of Elijah. That means there's going to be a lot of similarities between Elijah, probably one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, and this man named John the Baptist. And what's amazing is you find two stories of discouragement in their lives where they basically come to a point of questioning God. You remember the story with Elijah? He's just defeated the Baal prophets. A mighty powerful thing he did. And the next scene you see, he's running from Jezebel. You remember the story? And he gets to that point where he's about a, the brook and he's there. And he's pleading with God. He said, God, just take me now. <laughs> he was discouraged. John the Baptist, do you remember his story? Now he's been arrested. 
He's prepared the way for the Messiah, has done everything that God's asked him to do. He did everything that we know he did. Jesus even said he's one of the, uh, the greatest men to ever lit, walk on the face of the earth, basically. And, and then we find him sending his disciples. He's in prison, about to lose his head from what we understand. He's about to be executed. He sends his disciples to Jesus and said, were you really the one? Were you the one? Was, was my life worth what God did through it? Is this really coming together? And Jesus sent back word that satisfied his doubt. That satisfied his doubt. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. Lastly, another cause of doubt, and we see it right here in these three stories, miracles, the supernatural. How many of you look at some things in your life and you can only equate it as a miracle? Maybe it was an answered prayer. Maybe you saw the radical change of someone's life once Jesus entered their life and they repented of their sins and turned to Christ. Maybe there was a healing, whatever it may be. You saw something that can't be explained in this world, but the outside, the supernatural, is perfectly capable of doing that. And you saw it. So what are the consequences of doubt? If these things bring the doubt into our lives, what are the consequences? Now, let me just say this. Doubt can be both beneficial and destructive, and it can become very costly. And it's important we understand that. So the first thing we see there is it brings the possibility of judgment. Our doubt can bring judgment into our life. And you say, where do we find that? Well, Zachariah's story Zacharias' story. Do you remember us talking about him? Look back at Luke 1, verse 19. And the angel answered him and said to him, he, after he's expressed his doubt, he said, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you glad tidings. He's, angel's basically saying, you, you, are you really doubting this moment or here right now? I was sent from God's throne. I, I received my order. My, this word comes straightly, straight from God, and I'm here to give it to you, and you're sitting here doubting it. But behold, verse 20, you will be mute and not be able to speak until these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, what's interesting here is that whole idea, it will be fulfilled in its own time. You know what that tells me? It tells me possibly there's a clue here that Zacharias would have been much more involved in the Christmas narrative than he was if it wasn't for his doubt. He could have been the very first one to have the platform to share with the world after 400 years of silence that the Messiah is on his way. He, he could have been given that. We'll look more about that in just a moment. Next it, it disrupts God's purpose for the doubter. And that's what we're getting here to now. Look at verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. So Zacharias is there. He's at the altar of incense. He's, he's in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but he's in the holy place doing this miraculous thing that some priests can spend a lifetime to never have this type of experience. And while he's in there, something that hasn't taken place in 400 years, God speaking, God is now speaking to him right there. And the people thought to themselves, could it be that we have a word from God? 
He was in there longer than it should have taken. There had to be something going on in there. And the people were there. They almost had great anticipation once he came out. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. You know what this tells me? He wanted so bad to communicate what had just been said, but he couldn't. And it could have been supernaturally that he couldn't. Because later we're going to read that he, he will write something down where they can't uh, mess up the information he received. But right now, he's got an audience that people would have died to have at that moment. To speak the words from a vision that God had given him. And the audience was right there. And in that moment, he couldn't deliver the story. Had to be the greatest moment a priest could have had in 400 years. And he couldn't communicate the story. It disrupts God's purpose for the doubter. Next, the consequences of doubt, it steals joy. Let's go back to Zacharias' story. I mean, the greatest moment of a priest's life is being able to communicate what God has just said. And, and again, haven't heard from 400 years. And he can't do it. He, did, he lost the audience. He couldn't bring up. He couldn't get it. But it didn't end there. How many of you are glad that God sometimes gives us a do-over? That's what grandchildren are, right? <laughs> Do-overs. My children always say, man, you, you, I wish you had been this way when we were coming through. In a lot of ways, I wish I had been too. I missed a lot of stuff. But anyway... But in Luke chapter 1, verse 59, we kind of have a resemblance of a do-over that really kind of lost its impact, though. So in verse 59, it says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. Okay, John the Baptist has been born now, supernatural birth, and, and they're coming to do what is required by law. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. There would be some kind of linkage there. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father who he would be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John. So they all marveled. They looked at this and said, there's no connection between you and this child when it comes to your name. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke what? Praising God. I mean, can you imagine that being bottled up from the sixth month of her pregnancy all the way to when the, it's finally here? And there he is. But it can hinder joy. It can, sometimes it can steal joy. It can prolong joy. Consequences of doubt, it hinders peace. How many of you have had doubt in your life and it keeps you up at night? How many of you have had your peace disrupted because you just didn't believe? You didn't get to that point of belief. Next, consequences of doubt. It, fe it fears and anticipates the worst. How many of you can identify with that one? You can't get your mind around it. And because you can't understand it completely, all of a sudden you assume the worst. Is there one who did that? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, Joseph's story. Now, the birth of Jesus was as father, follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 19 tells us he jumps to the worst case scenario, doesn't he? Because of this response. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He would have never said that if he had not assumed the worst. 
Did he assume the worst? Obviously. And many times our doubt can cause us to assume the worst. Next, the consequences of doubt. I'm just throwing these last two in there because they must be mentioned. It nullifies prayers. Um, James, who wrote the book of James, was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting about James. He was the half-brother of Jesus, lived in the same home, yet he did not believe in Jesus and who he says he was until after the resurrection. That's amazing when you think about it. Live right there and be so far. So, so he didn't believe. Therefore, it makes him the true expert on doubt. Wouldn't you agree with that? <laughs> and then he writes the book of James. And it's one of the most practical books you'll find in the whole Bible. And he basically is laying all these things out. But listen to what he says in James 1.6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. How many of you think he would have some experience in this? That's where he lived most of his life. For, for let, that, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, how could he speak so clearly to this? Because he was this person. He was a doubter. He, lived in, he was raised in the same home with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. He may have had a little resentment. Who was Jesus? Oh, he was the perfect child right? The perfect child. Mary's, James, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> Wouldn't it have been cool if he figured that out by the age of five? He's God! <laughs> Next, consequences of doubt. It opens hearts to temptation and possibly sin. The fall of man began with Adam and Eve doubting God's word. Go back and look at it. Genesis chapter 3. It began with doubting his word. It led to sin, and did it prove to be very costly? Yeah, doubting God's word. Here's someone who said, I've heard this statement before. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's more convenient not to believe, so don't confuse me with the evidence. How many times have we tried to rationalize our sin? How many times have we said we're justified in feeling the way we do? And, and, and listen, that, song, that sermon on hurt I preached two weeks ago, I can't tell you how many people responded by way of email or kind of had a little thing, and they said, you know, thank you for speaking the truth. I knew I, I needed to deal with this in my life, and I've let it go on and on and on. And I remember several years back, you preached on a, ser a sermon similar to that, and I didn't do anything about it back then. And here I am faced with the exact same thing, and, and, and I tell you, I'm starting to learn how costly this is. But I guarantee you the reason it's lasted this long is because at some point that, I believe, believer in Jesus basically said it's more convenient for me not to believe God's word in this situation because it does, it, I need something to validate my feelings. But then when they're faced with the truth, they've got to deal with it. Next, the conquering of doubt. Someone has said, he who never doubted has never thought. How many of you kind of agree with that statement? Yeah. There are times in which we need to doubt in order to be able to discern between fact and fiction. This kind of doubt is not cynicism or stubborn unbelief, but looks for more evidence. Doubt is beneficial if it motivates us to investigate, which then can result in a stronger faith. 
Sometimes our journey to get to faith or to get to truth comes by way of doubt. And sometimes doubt is necessary. You remember Thomas? You remember doubting Thomas in the Bible? Why I won't believe it until I can stick my finger into his, his nail-scarred hands or whatever. And, and all that language there, what he was saying is, I need more evidence to get there. And Jesus said, well, what do you think about those people coming later who don't get the opportunity you get right now? Think about where their faith is going to take them. But sometimes it's worth investigating. The conquering of doubt involves, number one, look on your outline, investigation. Self-doubt or doubt others. Here's one thing that I know. When, when I begin to deal with my doubt, there's two ways I, I, I like to look at. Sometimes I doubt myself and what God's calling me to do. How many of you have ever been there? You doubt yourself. Am I even capable of doing this? I, I've been there. Mary kind of says this when she's approached. Because when Mary begins to talk, the angel turns the conversation to the, to the fact that God has chosen you, Mary. God's chosen you. And it wasn't necessarily this great merit that she had. She wasn't a perfect person, contrary to what the Catholic Church said. She was not perfect. Only one was perfect. His name was Jesus. She was not the co-redeemer for our salvation. Jesus was. And the point that we've got to look at here is the fact that Mary, at some point had to overcome her self-doubt whether she was capable of fulfilling what God desired her to do. Zacharias kind of said the same story. How can this be? I'm an old man. I'm married to an old woman. How? So it brings investigation. And that's not a bad thing. But it should lead also to examination. That's where doubt to question, to belief. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I've not, I do not know a man, never been intimate with a man? And the angel answered her and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born, who is called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. There's already been one supernatural birth, Mary. And here's a second. The difference is there will be a male who will conceive with Elizabeth. She'll have a child, but yours will come by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I don't know about you, but can she pull up any documentation in the Old Testament for some of this? Well, there's a couple words talking about, behold, the virgin shall conceive and all that. But there's never, been a, there's never been the actual report of that happening, has it? And now it's on her. But where did it lead? Here's what the angel closed his words by saying. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's good, isn't it? I don't understand it. I've investigated, I've asked the questions, let it be. Next, it should lead to obedience. Our doubt should lead to belief, but it should always lead to obedience. It's to decide to act on what is known. And that's called a step of faith. How many of you have heard the phrase step of faith? That is your step of faith. So this is the way we increase our faith, is to act on the faith we have. Then as we respond with the faith we have, God then gives us the gift of increased faith. How does it look? 
Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 20. But while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you your wife, uh, you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Verse 24, this is the key. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. That's amazing when you think about it. He didn't fully understand it all. But you know what he did do? He trusted God's word. His investigation led to an examination, which then led where doubt should always take us, to obedience. To obedience. And that's what you find in this story. And it says in verse 25, And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Someone has rightly said, Faith is going to the edge of the light you have and taking one more step. And you see, for some of you, maybe you've never taken a step of faith. Maybe you don't even know you, you lack that experience. You lack that information because you've never done that. But here's what you got to understand. The way God has dealt with me over the years, I, I've done fairly, pretty much okay with the light he's given me to step but how many of you know that sometimes it's not, listen, I wouldn't call it blind faith, but sometimes you know you just have to take that next step, just saying, God, I don't understand it all. There's nothing here that makes sense to me, but because you said it, I'm going to do it. And you take that step. That's where, a lot, that's where God wants to carry you today. I'm convinced of it. And so Zacharias, Mary, and Joseph eventually turned from doubt to belief. As a result, they were blessed by God in a supernatural way. And they became a part of the story that we're still telling 2,000 years later. Pretty impressive, isn't it? So here's the application. Most of those involved in the, Christian, in the Christmas narrative started with doubt that became belief. Now here's what you need to understand. The enemy is working through the events and circumstances of our lives, attempting to destroy our faith with doubt. There's some of you who, realize, who are sitting here today, and maybe you don't realize what's really at the center of your doubt. If it's self-doubt or doubting others or doubting God, you've got to deal with it. You've got to acknowledge where's this coming from. But the thing you need to know is that the enemy will attack you in that very place. He doesn't want to see you experiencing God. He doesn't want you growing in your faith. He doesn't want your, 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 your whole salvation to mean more to you than anything because you've just taken those steps of faith out there and God has come through. He doesn't want that. So here's my question to you. Did Mary and Joseph, did their ordeal of trouble end right here? It didn't, did it? Think about what they went through next. Mary, ready to deliver the child has to go to Bethlehem. That couldn't have been easy, could it? I mean, I can't imagine that. I've been around a woman about to give birth. Whew. <laughs> She's not in this service. She'll be in the next one. I won't say a word. <laughs> but, 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 but I will say this. I, not only that, they had to escape for their lives when Herod found word 
to Egypt. Think about the journey they went on. And it's one thing after another, and God is there at every point. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. What doubts in your life need to become belief? Where are you at right now? What are you not trusting God for right now? What, what, are you, what have you been praying for for a long time that you haven't seen an answer? Are, are you still trusting him? Where do you find yourself? And then lastly, what in your life, what, what is your doubt costing you in this life and the life to come? You know my story going into ministry. I, I, I was one of those poor young men who had panic attacks when I got in front of people. I, I just couldn't see how God was going to do what he called me to do. And I'll be honest with you, I was terrified. I didn't want to do it. I'd come across some pastors who went through some very difficult times trying to lead churches by the time God was really calling me into it and all that. And, and I'll be honest with you, it, it, it was something. But you know what? I go back and I look at this. And, and I, I even look at, I look at where I am today, and I'm not trying to brag on me. I'm bragging on Jesus when I say this. I am amazed at what he was able to do through me. And what did he need to do that through me? He needed my faith to increase. He needed me to take one more step towards fear to erase the doubt I was feeling. He needed me to take one more step to get closer to the purpose that he called me to do. And that is to do what I'm doing today. Looking back on it, I would have never thought it. I, I saw that he did a supernatural work in me. And, and, and y'all, that's not even the greatest supernatural work he ever did. It was my salvation that was the greatest. That I was the sinner. And he saved me through this one in the story that we call Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? That baby, everything was about that baby. Was there any doubt in that baby? Nope, not from what we read, perfect in every way. There everyone around him had doubt? Yeah, we read about it. But that baby grew to be the savior of the world, to be your savior, to be my savior, to desire us to walk with him. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, even this Christmas story, we know it so well. Many of us in this room, we can't think of a time we didn't even know about this story. But Father, I pray today that as we've looked into this story that we saw something we've never seen before. And that's the fact that our doubt can become belief. And Father, for the person that's in this room who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, maybe they have their doubts and whether this is a true story or not or whatever it may be, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit has interceded into their heart right now as they've been sitting here and you've softened them towards a place where their doubt can become belief in you. Father, I pray for the believer that's sitting here, the follower of Jesus, the one who's already experienced that great salvation that you provide, but there's something in their life right now that they're doubting. They're doubting if they could ever get past the hurt that someone brought to their life. They're doubting that their insecure, insecurity could, could somehow, that they could become whole apart from that insecurity, Lord, as they make their way through it. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that they'll reach out to you in prayer in these moments to call upon you to rescue them from their doubt, that they can live in the reality of the purpose you've called them to. And Lord, we know when that takes place, 
that's where satisfaction and fulfillment is found. It's not because things get easy. We see that with Joseph and Mary. It's because we know you're on the path with us and you're for us and you're working through us in those things. Father, what a, there's nothing greater in this world. We thank you for it. Father, we pray you have your way in Jesus' name. We're getting ready to sing. I just want to say this. If you need to talk to a pastor after hearing something like this or email us or see me after this, just do what God's called you to do. God wants you to have victory over your doubt. I have no doubt about that. All right? I hope you will sing with us this morning.